I'm Damien Venuto, it's February 15th and this is The Front Page, a daily podcast presented by the New Zealand Herald. Cyclone Gabrielle has started to move away from Aotearoa, but we are likely going to feel her impact for months to come. From Northland down to Auckland and the Coromandel, and along the country to the east coast, this massive storm has left a trail of destruction in its wake. For regions already impacted by months of rain, attention is now turning to the cleanup and what we could do to alleviate the damage. Today, NZ Herald Deputy Editor Hamish Fletcher gives us a sense of the damage this storm has caused across the North Island. Hamish, when we last had you on, you'd been working until 2am covering the Auckland anniversary floods. You were again working to 2am on Monday night covering Gabrielle. How have these two storms differed in terms of our preparedness and the damage they inflicted? If you look at the flooding that happened over Auckland anniversary that Friday and early Saturday morning, that came out of nowhere, at least as far as residents were concerned. We had floodwaters rising within minutes and motorways, homes, and a whole host of different areas completely swamped. First of all, Cyclone Gabriel had been really well signaled, so we knew it was coming. We had received warnings for days and days to expect something along the lines of Cyclone Bowler, which hadn't been experienced in this country for a very long time. We were told this would be one of the storms of this century, Um, Cyclone Bowler uh, was in 1988, and so authorities made no bones about the damage which Gabrielle could inflict on this country. And so New Zealanders had time to prepare, to get sandbags ready, to make any repairs to to their homes, to tie down equipment. Uh, Not that that necessarily uh, means that the Uh, experience of a cyclone is any better when it hits. Um, Someone telling you they're going to punch you doesn't change how much it hurts when it finally does, but it does mean you can do what you can to get ready, to get mentally prepared, to make sure that you've got supplies to last without power. You've got water if your water is cut off, as indeed we've seen to thousands of people around the country. In your time as a journalist, have you ever seen such a reaction before a storm had even hit? Auckland was basically brought to a standstill for nearly four days. I think after being surprised by what happened uh, on that Friday before anniversary weekend, it was really necessary to ensure that everyone got uh, as ready as they could. The ground was still extremely sodden from uh, that earlier deluge, and that meant a, a greater risk of flooding, but also of trees coming down because the ground just simply didn't have the hold on roots that it otherwise would have. And indeed, uh, unfortunately, that's what's come to pass, uh, particularly out in Murawai, where it appears that there's been a, a number of landslides overnight. Murawai has been completely cut off past this point. Around 200 residents took shelter at the surf club overnight and the Defence Force has been deployed to assist. Meanwhile, the search continues for a missing firefighter who was investigating a flooded home on Mototara Road before a landslide occurred and crushed the house. Hamish, can you just rewind for a second and take us back to Sunday when Gabrielle first arrived in Northland? 
What are some of the big stories to emerge from up north at that time? On Sunday, it was mostly people's fears about what was going to happen as the cyclone approached. You had people who lived in the North Island township of Mangamuka, for instance, who have been through large storms before that completely cut them off. So in July 2020, when they got heavy rain, it it washed away State Highway 1. Uh, It took a year and $14 million to open the road. Then 413 days later, the rains came again and the repair work slid down the hill. So you've got areas uh, that were well-versed being in that sort of purgatory of being cut off after bad weather and preparing for that. And now it doesn't look like at this stage we've uh, seen that type of damage hit Northland. There has, of course, been flooding and evacuations. This morning, there's been parts of Dargaville or residents in Dargaville uh, that have been evacuated as rivers uh, burst their banks. But of course, that experience that the residents of Mangamuka experienced in 2020 um, has been keenly felt in places like Coromandel and on the East Coast, which for now remain cut off from the rest of the country. Gabriel then moved down to Auckland after the whole city had basically gone into what was akin to a lockdown. What impact did this ex-cyclone have on our bigger city? On Monday morning, before we'd seen the truly terrible effects of Cyclone Gabriel, I think traffic volumes were around 50% on some of our major motorways. So you had the city just empty out. There were photos that appeared online, social media, of people comparing it to lockdowns and the roads being as clear as they were in those days of March 2020 when the city seemed like a ghost town. It wasn't anywhere near uh, that empty, but uh, people certainly got the message and heeded the advice from officials to stay home. Uh, nearly every school across the city closed for the day. I, I believe there was just a handful uh, that uh, kept their doors open. At the time we're recording this, Gabriel has moved eastwards and is making its mark on the Coromandel and the East Coast. What sort of impact is the storm having in these regions? The Coromandel, it's not as bad as uh, perhaps I would have feared for, but it is cut off. The uh, slips have come down on roads and uh, meant that if people do need to travel, uh, there's either very few routes or no routes at all for them to take, uh, and they simply, simply have to wait for that to be cleared so they can get through and get off the peninsula. Uh, On the East Coast, uh, the situation is just as bad, if not worse. The Gisborne mayor this morning spoke about how the area had no phone coverage. It had no internet coverage. There was no power to huge parts of the region. And of course, if you've got no internet coverage and no power, you can't buy groceries because the FBOS network is down. You can't buy fuel to power up your car um, or indeed a generator if you're running out of diesel. On top of that, you had roads in and out of Gisborne cut off and they had to shut other lines to clear wood and forest debris that had uh, washed down and, and stuck under bridges. Hamish, do you have any stats on the number of emergency call-outs that the region saw or how many power lines were downed and cell towers taken offline? The latest information from authorities, and of course this is changing all the time, is that there was about 1,800 storm-related call-outs from fire and emergency New Zealand. There are tens of thousands of people right now who are without power around the country. At the time of recording, I think there's about 44,000 Aucklanders who are without power. If you look down towards Hawke's Bay, Transpower, which run the national grid, have actually declared a grid emergency. There's parts of that region 
where there's been major damage to power infrastructure. And TransPower is warning it is going to be days or weeks rather than hours for electricity to be back up and running. There's a similar story in remote parts of the uh, the country, whether that's East Coast or Northland, where people might be waiting uh, a long time for the power to go back on. Of course, crews are doing everything they can. Uh, while it's uh, blustery and really windy, it's really difficult uh, for them to make some repairs because they have to be mindful of safety. In Auckland, Vector spoke about one crew who had to abandon uh, their repair efforts because floodwaters are rising. So there's really difficult conditions that the service workers who are out repairing lines are facing. People will be aware that a national state of emergency has been declared and that means that we'll be throwing everything at this to make sure we're providing as much support to the response as possible. Uh, we have the Defence Force on the ground now already providing a lot of logistical support, uh, helping with evacuations, helping to keep essential supplies moving uh, and in due course helping with the cleanup uh, when we get to that point. Hamish, we've since had a national state of emergency declared. What exactly does this mean and which areas are impacted? There was something like nine or ten districts that declared local states of emergency before this morning. The emergency management minister and prime minister at first light assessed the situation and declared a national state of emergency. From what I understand, what that means is that if you're in Canterbury, you're not in a state of emergency. But if you are in an area where there already is a local state of emergency, it's covered by this broader national order. What it means is that there can be far more coordination between various authorities. That means that help can get to where it's needed most, that the government can coordinate relief efforts, they can coordinate the Defence Force to go in and help people who need it where they need it. Has the government released any financial aid to assist the storm-affected regions? Chris Hipkins, I think, on Monday announced $11.5 million to help with storm relief. There hasn't been any further funding released since Gabriel really rolled in and caused all this damage. I suspect there uh, will be more to come. It's going to be a very expensive event. Just after the Auckland anniversary floods, there were figures being bandied round by some in the insurance sector that it could cost nearly a billion dollars. If you just look at some of the pictures of the havoc that Gabriel has caused around the country, it's going to be a very expensive time for insurance companies and indeed the country. Just looking at this response, what have you made of the response to the storm compared to the Auckland anniversary floods? I think any gap in communication that happened on that Friday evening uh, has been well and truly remedied. I don't think you can fault the level and frequency of updates which had been coming from all quarters, really, whether that's emergency management, whether that's the Met Service, whether that's uh, local governments and their officials. How bad is the storm when compared to other tropical cyclones that the Herald has reported on over the years? Hamish, is this as bad as it gets? It's certainly up there with what I can remember. We yet to really tally the, at least I haven't, the level of total rainfall and the like. So uh, it'll be some time, I think, before we actually truly appreciate the level of damage. But for anyone who was in Auckland or indeed uh, up around the country last night, I don't think many people got much sleep. I certainly have never uh, recorded blowing that hard outside. 
Hamish, we did see some sectors of the population complain that we were overreacting in our coverage of the storm in the lead up to the event. What would you say to that mindset, having now reported on the damage that the storm has caused? Well, you look at the Auckland anniversary floods and four people lost their lives in that, and that's a great tragedy. And so, of course, we want to do everything we can to ensure that you know, there's not a loss of life or people losing their homes, people's businesses being destroyed and their livelihoods being lost. I don't see how you can really be overprepared uh, for something of this scale. I do think that people probably thought that authorities were overcompensating after criticism was made of uh, their preparedness before that earlier event. But you only have to look at the damage that's hit around the country in the past 24 hours to see that, um, if anything, you can never truly be properly prepared for a weather event of this scale. Hamish, I suppose we don't just return to normal when the wind dies down. So do we yet have any indication of how long the recovery will take or how much it might cost in the longer run? There's no figures on it yet. In terms of how long it takes you know, some people it will take years to recover. If you've, your house has been totally destroyed, then you've got to rebuild. And if, if you've got insurance, then that's all well and uh, it's not even all well and good. But if you've got insurance, uh, that's a process you've got to go through. And if you don't, then you've got to rebuild your entire life. Uh, we're still waiting to hear from news of a firefighter who's missing, uh, who went out to uh, rescue uh, or respond to flooding in Muriwai and was hit by a collapsed house that came down in a slip and for those who are injured or or indeed any worse in events like this the recovery for their friends in whanau can take forever to be in a position where we've got two firefighters potentially in you know life-threatening situation or unknown at the moment you know that's an absolute horrific position to be in Um, and i really feel for all of our organization and i feel for those families in particular Um, when we've got people right across the country who are just there to support others and help others and find themselves, you know, under uh, conditions like this slip. Finally, Hamish, how do you think that these major weather events back-to-back are going to impact the country's longer-term mindset? Is this the climate wake-up call that we need, or is the main focus here on how susceptible our infrastructure is to extreme weather? Well, the two kind of go hand-in-hand to me, Damien, because Mm -hmm. if if climate change is causing our weather events to be more severe, then we need to have a good conversation about how susceptible our infrastructure is to extreme weather because it's it's going to happen more often based on uh, what climate scientists are telling us about the warming planet. I think this has brought a conversation about the effects of climate change into the front of many people's minds. And so that should put it up the priority list of decision makers and uh, others who are thinking about um, how the country is going to try to bounce back and respond. Uh, You've got uh, nationals, Christopher Luxon, saying that climate change is a priority. Uh, And so I think from here, uh, at least in the short term, expect it to be more on the agenda uh, as people think about it more because they're having to recover and and repair their homes or or pick up their lives. At least for now, um, I think... Once the water recedes and people uh, make necessary repairs and things like that, it can be easy to forget uh, 
what people went through. You only have to look at conversations or lack thereof that uh, had about COVID, which is still very much uh, with us to see how people can, I guess, move on. Thanks for joining us, Hamish. That's it for this episode of The Front Page. You can read more about today's stories and extensive news coverage at nzherald.co.nz. The Front Page is produced by Sean D. Wilson and edited by Paddy Fox with executive producer Ethan Sills. I'm Damien Venuto. Subscribe to The Front Page on iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts. Then tune in tomorrow for another look behind the headlines.